Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney. And this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Well, hello to you. Hi. <laughs> it's very cold in here. A cold. Unusually so because it is hotter than hell outside. Yes. But I was also trying to like say that it was haunted, but we probably should have like planned that out beforehand, like a whole little bit. Okay. I that did was... not pick up on that haunted vibe at all. Yeah, that was my fault. I, I wanted to like go with like the movie you know because we're, we're doing that <laughs> we are doing that hmm well maybe next time well we've had a, an odd week this week the the old winnebago broke down it did it was sad and and we got stuck a little bit longer in the dead zone than normal you know i'm finding the longer we hang out here the weirder things get oh yeah for sure i didn't realize that things on your cars could just melt but that happened and who knows what could happen next <laughs> well it certainly uh, is something to keep an eye out for but we'll talk more about that at another date we got a movie we got to talk about but first just to recap a few months ago danny and i inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone the only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find it because Oh yeah, the theater moves around a lot, it's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And currently, we are doing a short series we call Double Features, where we watch a horror classic one week and then watch its remake the next. And today, we are talking about the 1963 classic, The Haunting. Yes, this one was a fun one. I hadn't seen this one. I had read the book and I had seen like little clips of this movie, never seen the whole thing uh, all the way through. And I gotta say, I was pretty impressed. I, I was too. Yeah, honestly, there was quite a few moments in the movie. I think we both kind of audibly said something out loud like wow what you know just kind of really impressed with uh some of the things that went on in the movie so yeah I, I had a lot of fun with it so real quick before we get into the thick of things and we talk about this movie now is the time that I have to warn you guys that we are going to get into some spoilers as always so if you want to take a moment to go check out this movie because I really do recommend it. It was a lot of fun. I think that we found that this one was a little tough to find. Uh, we found it on Prime. And like I said, I definitely recommend watching it if you want to check it out beforehand. But if not, as always, we recommend staying because we're still going to have fun and there's still going to be stuff spoiled. So it's going to be like you're there, but there with us. So it's cooler no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And of course, we're going to break absolutely everything down. But I will tell you, if you even think you're going to see this movie, 
don't let us spoil it for you. Go watch it first. There's one scene in particular, and of course it's done so much better in the book. It always is, <laughs> but they did a pretty good job of it in this movie. So I'd say check it out first, just because you don't want to be spoiled. It's a really good moment when the kind of twist comes at the end of that scene, mm-hmm. and uh, it's well worth it. But otherwise, we're excited to take you along. Yeah, we love a good twist, and it was good. Well, before we can talk about how good it was, let's get to the wiki. So The Haunting is a 1963 British horror film directed and produced by Robert Wise and adapted for the screen by Nelson Gidding from the 1959 novel The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. It stars Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, and Russ Tamblin. As Gidding began to adapt Jackson's novel into a screenplay, he came to believe that the novel was not a ghost story at all, but rather a compilation of the insane thoughts of the lead character, Eleanor Vance. He theorized that Vance was having a nervous breakdown, imagining a scenario in which Hill House is the hospital where she's held. Markway is her psychiatrist, and the paranormal activity is really just all in her head. Wise and Gidding eventually met with Jackson, who told them that it was a good idea, but her novel was definitely about the supernatural. Nonetheless, the insanity concept remained in the script, so that the audience was left wondering whether the supernatural events in the film were in Eleanor's mind, or whether they were real. It was also Jackson who would be credited with the film's changed title. As they did not want to keep the book title, Wise and Gidding asked Jackson if she had considered an alternative title, and she suggested The Haunting. So, yeah, I just want to say something real quick about that, because I think the bookworm in me loves that fact so much, because immediately I appreciate how you're able to take a story and you have the reader that interpreted it in a completely different way and both ways are creepy and both are like really compelling storylines and I just love the fact that a book is able to inspire that. Yeah and you know personally I don't think that getting was that far off when I I I say read I listened to it on book on tape back when books actually were on tape (laughs) it was probably around 14 or 15 and I remember listening to this and I picked up on the same thing. I kept wondering if that was a possibility if, you know, Nell was just going a little mad and if any of this was really happening. But it still was a good, creepy, creepy ghost story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I always think it's fascinating when they can actually, you know, talk to the author themselves and and get that kind of feedback. Yeah, yeah. I love getting to uh, know that she was able to validate and say, yes, it was a ghost story. But I also love that just as our reader getting to talk to the author and say, this is how I interpreted your story. I feel like that's a really cool way to just compliment how good of a writer they are to be able to say, you not only wrote a really great storyline, but it's Uh, you know equally scary in both situations and keeps the reader on edge the whole time because you like you said listening to it you're wondering that the whole way through Mm -hmm. and me even watching the movie I was I was teetering both of those lines and kind of 
I think thinking myself like I'd be okay with either way. <laughs> either way this goes, I'm okay with it. Right, right. It's a it's a great story. Yeah, exactly. Well, the screenplay included other changes from the original story. The number of characters was cut down, the backstory was significantly shortened, and most of the supernatural events depicted in the novel were kept off screen. Eleanor's role as an outcast was also emphasized, and the character of Theodora was given a sharper, slightly more cruel sense of humor in order to make her a foil for Eleanor, but also to heighten Eleanor's outsider status. The role of Luke was tweaked to become more flippant, and Dr. Markway, named Montague in the novel, was made a more confident character. Wise, who still owed MGM a film under an old contract, decided to take advantage of the tax breaks and financing provided to films through England's Edie Levy and shot the picture at MGM's Borehamwood Studios in the United Kingdom for just over a million dollars. Eddington Park, now the Eddington Park Hotel, with its grounds near the village of Eddington, Warwickshire, was used for exterior shots of Hill House. Some of the cast and crew were housed in Eddington Park during exterior shooting. However, the location did not sit well with Julie Harris and Claire Bloom, who, upon arriving at Eddington Park, thought it was quote-unquote scary-looking outside, and Wise had to reassure them that it was safe. Interior sets were constructed and shot at the MGM British Studios in Borehamwood, Hertfordshire, the sets were designed by Elliot Scott and were meant to be brightly lit with no dark corners or recesses. All rooms had ceilings added to create a claustrophobic effect. This was unusual as most film sets forego ceilings to add in lighting. The haunting is notable for its lesbian character Theodora, played by Claire Bloom. Although the character's lesbianism is only subtly mentioned in the novel, the film makes it a lot more explicit. Theodora's lesbianism helps to create a conflict in the picture. Eleanor's growing attraction to Markway becomes a threat to Theodora that causes conflict between the psychic and the investigator. Originally, Giddings' script had contained a scene early in the film in which Theodora is shown in her apartment in the city. It's clear from the context that she has just broken it off with her female lover. The words, I hate you, are written on the mirror in lipstick, and Theodora is yelling curses at her out the window. However, Wise decided to cut the scene, believing it to be too explicit for a film that worked hard to make things implicit. The is-she-or-isn't-she theme is very prevalent here. Is Theo gay or isn't she? Is Nell crazy or isn't she? According to Julie Harris, film censors demanded that Theo never be shown to touch Eleanor in order to keep the lesbianism less obvious. However, there are numerous scenes where Theo touches and even holds Nell to comfort her. The Haunting opened in New York and Los Angeles on September 18, 1963, and although audiences were frightened by it, it was only an average success at the box office. The film opened to a mixed reception, but the general consensus seemed to be that it was a stylish film that lacked excitement and audience members were bored. According to The Atlantic Magazine's Pauline Kale, quote, in the audience's terms, they were cheated, nothing happened, and of course that meant they missed what was happening all along. 
The film may have been lost on some of its original audience, but its stature and following has grown steadily since its release. Director Martin Scorsese placed The Haunting as number one on his list of the 11 scariest horror films of all time. And reportedly, Steven Spielberg considers The Haunting one of the seminal films of his youth. In 2010, The Guardian newspaper ranked it as the 13th best horror film of all time. However, not all critics think so highly of the film, with some stating the picture is overrated and one that few people would truly find shocking or disturbing. The Haunting currently holds an 86% rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 42 reviews, with an average rating of 7.9 out of 10. The critical consensus reads, quote, Both psychological and supernatural, The Haunting is a chilling character study, end quote. And, you know, that's exactly what this movie is. Mm-hmm. This this is not some terrify you, stabby, stabby, run around, jump scares on every corner. It's not like that. It is a slow burn and it's about the characters. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, you were talking about how it was brought up that this movie isn't shocking or disturbing. But that doesn't always have to be the qualifiers for a movie to be categorized as a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people can find, uh, you know, the scary parts of that psychological um, fear of not being able to trust your main character, not being able to trust are they or aren't they going crazy? Is this house really haunted? You know, and not being able to trust is our character saying, are they going to make it through? You know, when you're watching those movies, you want to rely on somebody. Mm-hmm. And when you can't, that leaves your viewer on edge. And therefore, you know, it, it's creepy. And so I, I definitely think this movie qualifies as like exactly a scary character study. And I love that that's brought up as what this movie is, because that's absolutely the perfect way to describe it. Well, all right. Well, I'm ready to get into the nitty gritty of it, if you are. I am. Shall I read you the synopsis? Let's do it. All right. So the synopsis reads, Dr. John Markway, an anthropologist with an interest in psychic phenomena, takes two specifically selected women in Hill House, a reportedly haunted mansion, Eleanor, a lonely, eccentric woman with a supernatural event in her past, and the bold Theodora, who has ESP, join John and the mansion's heir, cynical Luke. They are immediately overwhelmed by strange sounds and events, and Eleanor comes to believe the house is alive and speaking directly to her. All right, so I guess before we talk about the actual movie, a lot of people are going to be wondering how much of this ties in with the Netflix series, The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I guess you could say... It fits in with the lore, but it's hard to say whether or not what happens in this movie is considered something that happened in the lore of the TV show. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Like, there are certain things that are going to be the same, and we'll try and point those out when we see it. Like, you're going to recognize a lot of the same names, Mm -hmm. but of course they were different characters, in the Netflix show than they were in the movie. So it, it it's kind of, the, it's very loosely based. It, basically, the house 
the house is the same. <laughs> it's the same house. The house never changes. It doesn't, and it always has the same caretakers. <laughs> but other than that, aside from some coincidental names that are the same, all the characters are different. I wonder if anybody's like kind of gotten like together a timeline of like similar events that have happened between the two um well actually between like the three like the book the movie and the in the series and like logged which events are the same which ones are different you know and, and it, if events are different could they be in different timelines but obviously they all take place at the house yeah i guarantee you there's got to be something out there on the internet that somebody has done all that uh i do know the Netflix series is supposed to take place in the 90s. Uh, this movie would have taken place in quote-unquote present day, so that would have been in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to refer to the history of the house, which starts 90 years previous mm-hmm. to 1963. So it's an old house. It's very old. And that's where we're starting. Here's our house. Yeah. And, and we hear that it's an evil old house. There's a voiceover, and he's telling us how evil this house really is. Yes. Uh, And that Hill House has stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more. Silence lays steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there walked alone. But some people might, like, bring a friend. They might. I mean, hang some curtains. It could be lovely. (laughs) Well, we get the opening credits. We see this is the haunting. It's it's got some cool credit effects. It's like this water smoke thing going backwards. I was impressed. It looked pretty cool. Yeah, I actually made note of that as well. I just wrote that I liked the title card, and I I even kind of tried to describe it. I said smoky, melty action. So, <laughs> I that's a perfect description. Yeah, well yeah. done. I really liked it as well. <laughs> Well, one interesting thing that you and I both noticed because I asked you about it, uh, you get this weird credit and it kind of really stands out. It says, all Claire Bloom's clothing are provided by Mary Quant. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why? Why are we pointing that out? And why is it just Claire Bloom's? Who did everyone else's clothes? Immediately I thought, yeah, why? Of course. Why not? Mary Quant. <laughs> well, I, I just figured, you know, she was some sort of famous Hollywood costume designer or something. But I had to look her up and I'm, you know, I feel like an idiot because apparently she's somebody. Yeah. When you were telling me about her, I was like, oh, OK. So like legitimately somebody that we should know about. <laughs> really, really someone we should have heard of. <laughs> uh, so for anyone who is like us, uh to make Bloom's character appear more bohemian, mod fashion designer Mary Quant was hired to design clothing specifically for the Theodore character. Dame Barbara Mary Quant is a British fashion designer and fashion icon. She became an instrumental figure in the late 1960s London-based mod and youth fashion movements. She was one of the designers who took credit for the miniskirt and hot pants, and by promoting these and other fun fashions, she encouraged young people to dress to please themselves and to treat fashion as a game. 
So Ernestine Carter, an authoritative and influential fashion journalist of the 1950s and 60s, wrote, quote, It is given to a fortunate few to be born at the right time in the right place with the right talents. And in recent fashions, there are three, Chanel, Dior, and Mary Quant, end quote. I mean, that's some freaking high praise. Yeah, no kidding. If you're up there with Chanel and Dior, we should have heard of Mary Quant. I, I don't know why. I don't, I've had not heard of her, but God bless her. And she did a phenomenal job. Uh, Theo looked fantastic. Yeah, I think me and you both mentioned that there was quite a few outfits that we were like, actually legitimately made notice of that we thought they were really cute. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mary Quant. <laughs> she looked good. <laughs> Well, starting off, we learn the history of Hell House, and this house was born bad. Scandal, murder, insanity, suicide. Same. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And it's only 1.30. Our voiceover is back with some attention-getting words to let us know that nothing good has ever come from here. It was built by a man named Hugh Crane in New England. So Hugh Crane, that is actually the name of the father in the Netflix series. So here we have our first name that carries over. I think that we have like a weekend mission now. I think we need to go this weekend and binge the series because we haven't watched it since it first came out. We have not. And I think we meant to watch it before this last one came out, but we just didn't. We didn't have the patience we <laughs> jumped right into it uh, and binged through that. So, yeah, we should go through this weekend and, and watch it, especially since we're doing the double feature. It'll be fun to kind of see the difference between the two movies and the series. Yeah, I'm down. I mean, don't threaten me with a good time, sis. Let's go do it. <laughs> well, again, we are talking about our house and it was evil from the beginning. Still telling us it's born bad, so bad that even the horses hated it. And killed the owner's wife before she could even set eyes on it. Basically, the horses bolted for no apparent reason and crashed their carriage into a tree. So Crane does what any good husband and father would do. He brought her dead body inside the house and made his daughter stare at her. Why would... Did you not feel uncomfortable? I can't... uh couldn't understand it she even tries to turn away and he grabs her and turns her back around and makes her stare at her dead mother i was really kind of questioning what parenting books were out then but i (laughs) really think that probably wasn't in there it really wasn't i i think we're trying to uh establish very quickly that old hugh crane was quite the tyrant uh and and we're we get it yeah Well, Hugh eventually remarries, uh, but a door opens and wife number two falls down the stairs. I I guess they're implying it it was the ghost maybe of wife number one. But that's all that's all we see is a door opens and then she, you know, the classic ah, and she puts her hand to her forehead (laughs) and and falls backwards. It was literally incredible. I loved it so much. It was impactful. The way that she landed upside down at the bottom of the stairs with that wide-eyed look of horror of their face, Mm -hmm. impressive. Chef's kiss. It was was spectacular. I loved the build-up. I loved, like you said, the immediate uh, drama in the fall. And, I mean, she killed it. She sold it, and I was there. I grabbed my popcorn. I was in for it, and she nailed it. 
any of that actress doesn't even get a credit in the film uh that's rude yeah it's terrible mary quant should have done her clothes <laughs> <laughs> well next we learned that hugh then leaves his daughter uh who we now know is named abigail in the house with the nurse as he hops the pond to england and drowns <laughs> that's all the info we get no further details he just did he did well it's probably karma for making his daughter stare at dead things well i but at least say you know the boat never arrived and they drowned in the sea or he slipped and fell in the bathtub i don't know it was just so weird he goes to england and drowns the universe works in mysterious ways baby <laughs> karma doesn't need an explanation she said i got you abigail and your bangs i got you boo well this i i mean i don't know how much it helps abigail because after that abigail grows old in the house never moving out of the nursery she goes a little off the deep end mm -hmm. uh, so in later years she becomes a bedridden invalid and hires a girl from town as a companion to care for her but one night, as Abigail pounds on the wall with her cane, desperate for her life-saving medication, she dies as her hired companion is fooling around with a farmhand on the veranda. ruh -roh. Well, the companion ended up inheriting the house and stayed on for many years. But many people in town believe that, one way or another, she had murdered Abigail. So she lived a life of complete solitude, eventually going mad and hanging herself from the spiral staircase in the library. Scandal, murder, insanity, suicide. There it is. Same. Uh, and, and here's our, our next thing we notice from the Netflix series, this famous spiral staircase mm -hmm. in the library. There mm -hmm. it is. The same one that will provide us the bent neck lady in the future and uh yeah she's there thriving saying look at me queen here's my first role wait a few years i'll be up on netflix <laughs> i'm just gonna hang out here for a little while if y'all don't mind <laughs> i'm a little wobbly as you can see this is my first film <laughs> that still don't got my c-lex yet well from there the house ends up being passed on to a distant relative uh this is uh, some old lady named miss sanderson and now Dr. John Markway, who we discover has been our narrator thus far, wants to rent the place to study the phenomenon that has been reported there. She's reluctant at first. No one who's ever rented Hill House has ever stayed for long. Plus, there are going to be women participants. So will the good doctor be bringing his wife? Oh, no, she doesn't believe in all this haunted house business. Mm-mm and thinks it's all a big joke so she won't be attending well that just doesn't seem decent but miss sanderson's lawyer explains that dr markway is a respected anthropologist and they should welcome the opportunity to have such an esteemed gentleman investigate the home and what if she sent her nephew luke along to make sure the property is protected and that everything is on the up and up well, of course, she agrees, and Dr. Markway has now narrowed down his selection of participants on a chalkboard back in his office. So the names here that we see in the film, they are all friends or family of the screenwriter Nelson Gidding. So Albert Trepuk, 
was his stepfather. Charles Stern, Ruth Murray, Rufus Matthewson, and Paul Kirshner were friends, and Joshua Walden was his then 14-year-old son. Uh, we also see one of the participants, Theodora, only has a question mark for a last name. I didn't catch that until my second viewing, and it's interesting because that's actually going to come up again later in the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately for Dr. Markway, only two participants agree to come to the house, and we next meet the first of them in Eleanor Lance. She is the spinster sister of Carrie Fredericks and has lived with her and her husband, Bud, and their irritating little shit of a daughter, Dora, since Eleanor and Carrie's mother's death. I mean, this... <laughs> Charming. Oh my God, this scene. I just <laughs> wanted to throttle all of them. Yes. Well, of course, Eleanor means to take the car. She owns half of it, and she's going to take it. Take half the car. I mean, she, throughout this entire movie, she keeps saying she means to take it. I mean it. I, it's half mine. I mean to take it. I'm not even joking about it. Watch me. I'm going to walk out these doors. Well, of course, she's begging her brother-in-law, please, bud, Carrie gets to drive it all the time, and I never take it out of the garage. And then she says, mother, and then Carrie says, mother, what? Eleanor says, it's nothing, and starts blinking erratically, and little shitty Dora starts going, Auntie Nellie's blinking, <laughs> Auntie Nellie's blinking. Which makes Eleanor throw a pillow. And Bud says, can we just get through this without someone getting emotional and nervous? Can someone stop blinking? Can we cut it out? You know we don't blink at dinner. This is why. The taunting is stupid. We can't have it. Well, to which Carrie adds, there's a very good reason why Mother wouldn't let you go anywhere. And that reason still applies. Only I'm sure Mother's good wishes don't mean much to you. Which gets as close to a fuck you look from Eleanor as her sheltered face can muster. This this is just a bad situation for Eleanor. She she clearly has a quote unquote nervous condition. Yeah. And after caring for and losing her mother and now is being treated like a child by her sister and her family. Uh, but she paid for half the car and she means to take it. <laughs> she should do it. So next we see her at a garage and she tells the attendant that she wants her car and she means to take it. (laughs) I'm not kidding. She keeps saying this. So after showing her driver's license, her library card and a blood donor car, he lets her have it. I love that he he let a library card be like a valid form of ID. He was like, you know what? I fucking trust you. I can read too. You are... AB positive, and I should find no fault with that. Take any car you like, ma'am. You know what? Here's my keys. Take my car. I mean to give it to you, and you mean to take it. This has all worked out. You're getting so worked up, but for what? Look at you with your library card. Get out of here. Go get a car. Get out of here, you scoundrel. <laughs> Well, she drives out to the house over a long internal monologue, and we learn she's hoping that this is her way out, uh, her way to escape her life and start a new one. She doesn't plan on returning back home, and someday she hopes to live in a home with stone lions out front. That is that is her pinnacle goal. She just wants a house with stone lions. I mean, why not? You know, same. 
Also, here we have another movie where one of the characters just monologues all the time. Oh, yeah. She's in her head the whole movie. Man, mm -hmm. every time she turns around, it's just on and on. I was like, uh, kind of just wondering if she didn't always like <laughs> remember that people were there <laughs> because she talked to herself so much. There would be like people around her and <laughs> she would just go full into her head mode. And I was like, wow, she's just all in. She really enjoyed her me time. Yeah, I get it. Why not? Well, she pulls up to the house gate and is met by the caretaker, Mr. Dudley, and he don't want to let her in. But Eleanor says she's expected. But how can she be expected if she's the only one who's shown up so far? And Eleanor says, you mean there's no one else in the house? And Mr. Dudley says, no one you'd want to see. Which seems a little sassy. He's very insistent on not wanting her to come in. And it's just so weird because obviously he knows people are coming. Yeah. But he's acting like because no one else has shown up yet, then that means this thing doesn't <laughs> happen yet i don't it was very odd he's like no 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 i got the list you're number three there's two more people ahead of you they will get here first we will let them in you will wait your turn all right there is a strict order to things he's like i don't care if you mean to be number one you're number three all right well of course here we have an instance where we have direct characters that were in the book slash this movie that show up in the Netflix series, and that is the caretaker and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Dudley. Uh, they are still the caretakers for this house in the Netflix series in the 90s. So, dun, dun, dun. There you go. <laughs> Crossover. Well, after nearly running Mr. Dudley over and threatening to report him, Eleanor gets up to the house and we see there it is in all its majesty. And it's freaking huge. Uh, and she starts to blink again. She's doing that nervous thing. Mm -hmm. And she immediately, we're in her monologuing again. She's telling herself she should turn around and leave. That this is not a good idea. But she doesn't. She doesn't leave because we have a movie. And she challenges herself to be brave because she doesn't have anywhere else to go. Uh, look, if, if I had that damn family to look forward to going home to, I'd risk it as well. Yeah. I'd go in the house. I don't really blame her. <laughs> no blame given. Well, she goes to knock on the door that has the creepiest door knocker you've ever seen. <laughs> yes. It's just like this weird baby cherub. It was so big, too. It's just, why is it there? <laughs> uh, but Mrs. Dudley is already opening the door. And, oh, goody, she looks just as charming and welcoming as her husband. I mean, the woman doesn't speak a word to her. Then Eleanor asks to be taken to her room. And as she picks up her bags to follow Miss Dudley, she sees her reflection in the floor or there was water on the floor. I didn't understand. They just made it was like <laughs> they made a point mm -hmm. of show. I kept waiting for that to come back. Like maybe there was water on the floor and someone slips and falls. But yeah. Yeah, because they did. They they made it obvious that like we were supposed to like see something. Yeah, like we we had a moment with this floor reflection, and so yeah, I I I did the same thing because I couldn't tell if it if. It... I I even on my second viewing, I really looked. Mm -hmm. It's just 
her reflection. Because I thought even as far like maybe I missed like there was something behind her that we we just didn't see, you know, to kind of allude that there was a ghost in the house. But nope, just checking herself out. And why not? I mean, you know, nice looking lady. She wants to be uh, impressive. So she can stay in the house because she doesn't have anywhere to go. She has nowhere to go. And she has a shit family. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, she catches up with the charming Miss Dudley. Uh, <laughs> this is one of my favorite exchanges. Miss Dudley ends up being a little bit of comic relief in the movie. Yeah. But played very not comic relief, but supposed to be comic. It's very hard to describe. Uh, but <laughs> she begins to explain that she'll set dinner out at six and then clean up the next morning because she doesn't stay at night in the dark. Yeah. We leave before the dark come. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I live in town, so we can't hear you in the night when it's dark. <laughs> no one can hear you from town uh-huh. in the night, in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I kept wondering that, too, because it was one of those things where I was like, okay... I just couldn't tell if they, if she was actually meant to be comedic relief or if it was just because, you know, you do have those times in these older movies where it's just really cheesy. Uh-huh. And so I was like, or maybe it's not meant to be. And this is just one of those moments where it's inherently funny now because of just how cheesy it is. I kept feeling like because this whole thing we know is supposed to be this experiment, this doctor is bringing these people together to do these quote unquote experiments in the house to test all this paranormal stuff. I thought that this was some script he had given her to try and scare Eleanor. It seemed like she was purposely trying to scare her. Mm -hmm. And she was just going through the motions saying the script. Like, we won't be here. You're going to be all alone. It's going to be really really scary. She's like, we won't be here in the night. We won't be here in the dark. Blah, 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 blah. You get it. Okay. Well, (laughs) after all that, Miss Dudley leaves and... Eleanor explores her room and, of course, we get another internal monologue where she basically talks about being overwhelmed. Well, next she explores the bathroom and discovers it connects with the room next door, which is now gloriously occupied by Theodora. Just Theodora, she says. So remember, there was that question mark for her last name on Dr. Markway's chalkboard. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's like Cher or Madonna. She's just Theodora. Yeah. Uh, and already she looks fabulous. Mm-hmm. Style is on point. Yeah. Immediately uh, you can tell that like she's meant to kind of steal the, the light whenever she's on the scene. Yes. She is the polar opposite of Eleanor. Whereas Eleanor is timid and afraid of everything and mousy and has never done anything Here's Theodora, who is living life out loud and being very boisterous, and you can tell she is worldly, and they couldn't be more different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And here we get another fantastic scene involving Miss Dudley. <laughs> so Eleanor and Theodora are talking and getting acquainted while Miss Dudley is trying to give that same, I put dinner out at six and we don't stay after dark speech for Theodora, but Theo ain't playing her game and she's not paying her a damn bit of attention. So it's not having the same effect on her as it did Eleanor, Mm -hmm. but she just keeps trying. And I put breakfast out at nine. We don't stay after dark when it's dark. 
<laughs> and finally, Eleanor throws her a bone and says, No one can hear you if you scream in the night. Isn't that right, Miss Dudley? To which Miss Dudley smiles and says, No one lives any nearer than town. No one will come any nearer than that. In the night. <laughs> she just has to add that little in the night at the end. And it's just... I, I don't know. I just love her character so much. Mm-hmm. Every time she comes on, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> well, Theo seems pretty unimpressed, but Nell, as Theo calls her, is still on edge, but feeling better now that someone else is here. Nell says they're going to be the best of friends, to which Theo replies, like sisters. Theo then tells her to go put on some of her new clothes she bought, and they'll go explore the house. When Nell asks how Theo knew she had brought new clothes, Theo tells her she wears her thoughts on her sleeve. And now we know that Theo is psychic, and that's why she's been chosen to participate. Mm-hmm. Well, that night, Nell and Theo are exploring the house, and Nell senses something is around them. Theodora can feel it too. Theo separates from Nell and senses that the house is calling out to Nell. They can feel air rushing around them and eyes watching them, and Nell can hear a woman sighing, but Theo can't hear it. Well, Nell starts to panic and back away and screams out for Theo not to leave her when all of a sudden a door opens and Dr. Markway makes his first appearance in the home. He says, you wouldn't believe this, but I left this door open so you could find your way and it closed by itself. (laughs) Welcome to Hell House. And it's just like, you know, these ladies just had this incredibly frightening experience and he's just all excited because a door apparently had closed by itself. Yeah, yeah. He didn't even see it happen. He just (laughs) realized the door was closed. (laughs) Well, he shows them to the main parlor that he will be using as the base of operations. He explains how Hugh Crane was a madman that hated people and built this house to suit his mind. Everything is hung slightly off-center, which would explain self-closing doors, although when he tries to demonstrate, the door doesn't close as he anticipated, and that all the angles are slightly off. There isn't a square corner in the place. Well, Nell states that a house like that would cause one to feel disoriented, which Dr. Markway praises Nell for picking up so fast. Well, this doesn't sit well with Theo, and she interjects herself by stating loudly that she's hungry. And when they go to leave the parlor for the dining room, they see the door has now closed itself. Next, they're off to the dining room, but can't seem to find their way. Markway tries one door, but it turns out to be a broom closet. Finally, they pick the right door and enter the dining room. Waiting for them, stirring a pitcher of martinis, is Luke, the nephew of the home's owner. He stands to inherit the house someday and wants to make sure his assets are protected. We also find out that Theo and Nell are the only two that answered Dr. Markway's request to participate. When they ask why, Markway wonders whether either of them looked anything up about the history of the house before coming, and they both say no. In other words... Everyone else was too scared to come, and you two were too ignorant to stay away. So drink up. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. And Markway wants to toast to their hopeful success, but Nell wants to toast to their companionship, which delights Theo, who gets right up in Nell's face and says, Excellent. To my new companion. To which Nell says, Except I don't drink. (laughs) 
Okay, first of all, there's something about dialogue in older movies that is just so damn charming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just, it's witty, it's snappy. But secondly, I I think this is both you and I's first moment that we realized, (laughs) and I think we kind of looked at each other and went, is Theo gay? Yeah, yeah, because, well, exactly like how you were saying, it's, it's how she said it, it was very, like, not overtly flirtatious, but it was that way that kind of women do where they get kind of breathy and in your face. And like you said, just kind of, I don't know, inadvertently intimate in a way that, you know, women can do that. And it was, yeah, um, immediately I caught on to it. I was just like, oh, what? I did not realize this was going to be happening here on in the movie, you know? Yeah, I had no idea. Like I said, I had read the book and... I alluded to it in the wiki, you know, on Wikipedia, they talked about how in the book itself, it's it's much more subtle. And boy, how was it? Because my 14, 15 year old ass didn't pick up on it at all <laughs> that she was supposed to be a lesbian. So when I saw it here in the movie, I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, and especially for, like, the 60s, that was, I think, what shocked me. Oh, yeah. It had to be extremely taboo. How spicy. Uh, Another thing I should bring up right here, Russ Tamlin, who is playing Luke. Again, we have another tie-in here because Luke was the name of the youngest son in the Netflix series. But Russ Tamlin has an uncredited cameo as Nell's psychiatrist in... The TV series, The Haunting of Hill House. So he was actually in this movie and he was actually in the Netflix series. Oh, how fun. Yeah. It was just, if you didn't know it was him, you would have missed it. If you didn't know it was him, you wouldn't know it was him. So (laughs) So your life didn't change at all. (laughs) But now you know. And you're welcome. Well, they eat dinner and Markway explains why they're here. He wants to prove the existence of ghosts. And they're there to help facilitate and witness those results. Theo has ESP, and apparently our dear Eleanor had a poltergeist experience where showers of stones fell on her house for three days when she was 10 years old. Nell says that's ridiculous, but Markway says it was witnessed by her family, the neighbors, and even police. In fact, it's the only case officially recorded by the police, but Nell insists that it never happened. So it sounds like maybe our little Nell has has some telekinesis, maybe? Yeah, like she's got some um, like untapped powers, definitely. Yeah. Well, Luke, who is only there to protect his money, of course, is our skeptic and believes the happenings in the house are caused by natural occurrences like subterranean waters or sunspots but now nell has to chime back in and say that the rocks were just thrown by neighbors because mother said they'd never fit in mother says and she stops herself and apologizes she explains that her mother died two months ago to which theo says you weren't sorry when it happened sometimes theo can be very abrupt yes she kind of doesn't have that uh, that filter between her brain and her mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it can cut off, come off very abrasive, for sure. Well, after dinner, they're all hanging out in the parlor. And Eleanor is trying to convince herself through another internal monologue that she belongs here. 
Luke slams his hand in anger on the table after losing for the fifth time in a row at cards to a psychic, and now he's out 12 bucks. This causes Eleanor to spill tea on herself after her jump scare and leaves to go upstairs to change. We hear her scream and the others come running, and it turns out she just had the feeling like someone was watching her. I, I thought that was an awfully big reaction to just feeling like someone's watching you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so too, because I was expecting her to like it to be played that that she just um, said that to them, but then we were going to see that she really actually like was touched or, mm-hmm. you know, like she was trying to downplay it for them. But yeah, it was a very large reaction to just thinking you feel like you're being watched. I mean, that happens in the hallway here all the time. <laughs> all the time. And I've never had that kind of reaction. <laughs> I'm going to start doing it, though. <laughs> Bet. Please don't. It's too much <laughs> screaming. Too much. That none of the animals will be excited at all. Well, they all go off to their respective rooms, and Theo tells Nell that if she gets too scared, she can come over to her room. But then when Nell opens her door, Theo just lets her ass in. She just scoots by and says, you know, I'll just help myself here. Uh, and then she says, you've been thinking about changing your hair and I know just the style for you. Well, Nell is amazed that Theo knew that, but Nell is too tired and wants to turn in for the night, to which Theo says, it's okay. We have a date for breakfast. Yowza. I mean, it is just so obvious. Yeah. I, I could not believe how in your face it was for for that time. Exa- yeah, exactly. That was, I think, what kept shocking me. Because, you know, I mean, I think about that compared to, you know, the kind of queer representation you see in, in TV today. It's, you know, thankfully, we see it much more on a grander scale today. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it's, it's definitely far more risque sometimes as well. And so, yeah, to me, that was, was pretty uh, modest. But at the same time, yeah, the shocking part was the fact that all this was in the 60s. And I kept having to remind myself of this would have been crazy to see that on the screen at that time yeah i i mean i would have expected there to be a lot of backlash to this movie because of that but i i I don't hear anything about it yeah yeah which makes me think okay did they did people just not notice or did people not care because it to me it was so obvious but i don't know I, i i don't know how that would have been watching it then I don't know. I mean, you know, certainly people could be in denial and just say, oh, well, they're just, you know, like sisters. Just roommates. Good friends. Just gal pals. <laughs> well, later that night, Nell hears pounding on the walls and that wakes her up and she mistakes it for her mother's pounding. Uh, but then she hears Theo screaming for her and realizes it's not her mom. She makes her way to Theo's room and the pounding gets worse and louder It's cold in Theo's room, and they wonder if it's Markway or Luke making all the ruckus. But they don't really believe it could be them, and then there's these scratches and footsteps and more pounding and chains rattling and something's being dragged, and then something's at the door, and it's banging louder and louder, and Nell, who has been periodically internal monologuing throughout this whole thing (laughs) tries to convince herself and Theo that it's just a noise and there's nothing to be afraid of 
But then the banging is on the door, and they realize the door isn't locked, and everything goes quiet. And slowly you see the doorknob slightly turn. And Nell and Theo grip each other tightly in fear that something is going to come through the door. And Nell thinks someone is there looking for her. And then they're scratching around the frame. And then the pounding again. And then a woman is laughing. But soon it subsides. And Theo can sense that it's ended because the room's temperature returns to normal. Well, Nell hears voices out in the hall. And when she opens the door, Markway and Russ are in the hall. Markway asks if anything happened, and both Nell and Theo start laughing in a nervous release. And now that it's over, they both seem quite silly for being scared. Well, the guys claim that they were off chasing a dog they thought was in the house and never heard any of the noises the girls did. Yeah, you can definitely tell in that scene, like, kind of how they've kind of, like, gone hysterical, you know, when they start kind of reacting and laughing. And how you can tell like they're kind of questioning their own sanity still Mm -hmm. like they know that they experienced it but now they're kind of thinking okay it's late at night you you know I'm sure there's a lot of things crossing their minds like how how did they not hear it so yeah there's no other uh reaction than than just laughing because you just screamed and screamed and like ripped a total stranger in fear for your life but also trying to just say it's okay. It's okay. It's just a, just a noise, not a big deal. But you're really scared. Yeah, I think we've all kind of experienced things like that where you really think something horrible is about to happen. And by some stretch of fate, you get out of it in the clear. And then you can look back on it and go, God, that was crazy. Mm-hmm, <laughs> we mm-hmm. could have died, man. Yeah. <laughs> but you just laugh about it just because it's too scary to think about how scary it really was. Yeah, exactly. Well, the next morning, Nell and Markway are having breakfast, and Markway wants to know how she manages to look so pretty after last night, and he just must know more about her. So Nell spills her whole life story. She doesn't like lobster. She cracks her knuckles when she's nervous. She saves buttons. She sleeps on her left side because she read (laughs) that it'll wear your heart out faster. I mean, (laughs) this is awkward. It's like, uh... Do you not people, because this is a lot. Yeah. I would have been like, it's uh, literally only breakfast. (laughs) I haven't even had my coffee. This is too much. On day one, too much. Well, we also learned she spent all of her adult life taking care of her invalid mother until she died. She has no job for when she returns home and always knew something amazing like Hill House would happen to her. And then it's the good doctor's turn. He came from a respectable English family and was expected to do something practical, so naturally he rebelled and became fascinated with ghosts. When he refused to read law at Oxford, as his father expected, he took off for America and put himself through college and decided on anthropology because it seemed to be a short step from the study of dead souls to the study of dead civilizations. Nell can't really remember what happened last night when Markway asked. She remembered it was frightening, but not actually feeling frightened. Markway thinks she's fallen under the spell of the house, but Nell thinks it could be the spell of something else. When Markway asks what, she just says to blame it on sunspots, but I'm 
pretty sure Markway is the brightest star in her universe right now. So it's obvious the two of them have a little bit of an attraction to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, of course, here comes Theo strutting in, and I do mean strutting. She looks phenomenal. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think this was the outfit that we both were, like, super impressed with. And she's worried someone may be in danger of getting hurt if the house's activity continues. They have a discussion about fear, and now ask Theo what she's afraid of, and she says, of knowing what I really want, and stares right at Nell. Again, <laughs> it's like, is this a geometry class? Because there is a love triangle brewing here. <laughs> well, next, Russ comes in, and Nell asks him what he's afraid of, which he replies, what I just saw out in the hall. And everybody gives him this look, and he says, you mean you haven't seen it? And they all rush out to see someone has written in chalk on the wall, and it says, help Eleanor come home. Well, of course, Nell freaks the hell out. It's her name, and it belongs to her, and something's using it, writing it, and calling me by my own name. I mean, isn't that what names are for? <laughs> for people to write it and call you by it? That's so you can be identified as that person. But she doesn't, I don't know what she thinks Nobody it asked. should be for. Nobody asked if they could use it. And she's mad. <laughs> well, she asked Theo if she did it just to frighten her. Well, of course she didn't. But while everyone is arguing about who did it and why, Miss Dudley makes another appearance in the dining room. And here you've got everyone's talking over each other. And Nell's freaking out. And here comes Miss Dudley. And she sticks her head in and she says, I clear breakfast at 10. I set lunch at 1. <laughs> That's what I agreed to. <laughs> well, finally, Markway says, Mrs. Dudley, please. And she leaves. But as she walks out, she says, it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> I think she wants your asses out of the dining room so she can clear the dishes. <laughs> You're literally getting in the way of her routine and she's not having it. I love Miss Dudley so much. <laughs> well, Theo wonders if maybe Nell did the writing herself for attention. And Nell says, oh, you think I like being the center of attention? To which Theo asks... Why are you all done up in that new hairstyle? And don't you know Nell just goes ballistic? You were the one who suggested I change my hair. How dare you? <laughs> and it's just so intense. It is just this wonderful, it's a great scene. Yeah, I loved this scene. And because we're getting to kind of see all the characters introduced in, in a way where they're getting to like vibe together. It's daytime. We're not on you know, for lack of better words, the edge of our seats quite yet. You know, we're just getting to know the characters and how they um, kind of react and work with each other. And yeah, I thought it was a really fun scene. Well, Mark Way, of course, has to step in and tells Nell to calm down and that Theo is just trying to get a rise out of her so she'll forget that she's frightened. And this thankfully seems to diffuse the situation. Well, next, the group heads out to the garden room that holds a giant statue. I mean, it's larger than life. Mm -hmm. uh, and Markwell claims it's supposed to be St. Francis curing the lepers. But Luke thinks it's some kind of family portrait with the man being Hugh Crane. 
and two of the ladies around him are his two dead wives and the young girl is his dead daughter and then he assumes the third woman is the dead companion that was said to have killed Abigail but Markway says that happened when Abigail was much older so it can't be the companion then they all remark about how much the third woman looks like Nell. There's even a dog in the large statue that they speculate could have been the dog Markway and Luke were chasing last night. Luke wonders where the statue came from because it wasn't on the inventory of the items in the house. Then Nell does some more monologuing about how she's worried Markway thinks she's a fool. Uh, Theo teases her some more and tells her she should dance with Crane's ghosts to which Nell pretends to do so, and then all of a sudden the door to the garden room blows open. But no one is there. Bum, 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 bum. Well, next on the Hill House tour, the group heads to the library, but when Markway opens the door, the smell of the room is too much for Nell, and she can't go in. My mother! Apparently the smell reminds her of her mother, so she skips the library tour. That's another thing. Constantly, throughout this movie, she'll just go, My mother! But then she'll stop herself. My mother. It's a what? Can, why can Finish you never... your thought, woman. <laughs> Just once, please. Well, the others all go inside and Markway points out the spiral staircase where the companion hung herself. Luke is going on and on about all the money he's going to make selling all these books. And he's going to hire a bunch of chorus girls to come dancing down these stairs. Of course, he's on the stairs as he's talking, and all of a sudden they start to shake, and he has to jump off before he gets injured. Next, we see Nell out on the terrace looking up at a window. She imagines what it would have been like to jump out the window. She talks about, that's where she did it. I wonder what it would have been like to hang there. I guess she's talking about the companion, but she didn't jump out a window. Yeah, I was confused by that as well. Yeah, I don't know what was going on. Well, anyway, Nell almost falls over the balcony and Markway is there to pull her back in. He's starting to worry that the house is too much for Nell, that she might be slipping. And if anything she's experiencing turns out to be a hallucination, it could call into question this whole study. But she, of course, says that she's not crazy and convinces him to let her stay. Well, Theo and Russ join them, and Markway insists that Theo move into Nell's room to keep an eye on her. And Theo says, you're the doctor. And again, we have another moment where it's just so blatantly obvious. Mm -hmm. And she's really happy that she now has to stay with Nell. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very much like, well, all righty then. <laughs> I will move myself in. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> well, that night, Nell is painting her nails for the first time, and Theo has gotten Nell all liquored up. Well, Nell wants to know if Theo is married, to which she just says no and blinks a lot. Theo asks what Nell's place is like, and Nell lies and says she has a little apartment with two little stone lions on the mantle. She's really obsessed with these stone lions. <laughs> well, Theo says she's going to try and get Nell back to that apartment, but Nell freaks out and takes it the wrong way and thinks Theo is trying to get rid of her. She apologizes and says she just doesn't want to leave Hill House. Ever, 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 ever. So... 
Nell's starting to slip just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There's some chinks in that. Eh, the armor wasn't that great to begin with. <laughs> it really wasn't. It was pretty banged up. <laughs> well, next, Markway calls out for them all. They meet in the hall, and he makes them stand in the middle. They all immediately act chilled, and Markway reveals that he's found a genuine cold spot. He believes this is the heart of Hill House, and it's right outside Abigail's old room, the nursery. He says they shouldn't go in so they can leave the lid on the pressure cooker. Well, Nell and Theo are back in their respective beds. It's two twin beds pushed together. And Nell brings up the library again. And Leo says they both know Nell didn't want to go in there because it smelled like a sick room and reminded her of her mother. Well, Nell gets cranky again and just wants to go to sleep, but Theo doesn't know why she's so mad. She doesn't think Nell killed her mother. Well, this infuriates Nell, and she demands that they both just go to sleep. <laughs> so now you're starting to get the impression that Nell could quite possibly be culpable in her mother's death somehow. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely something strange going on. There's, there's some guilt there. Mm-hmm. Well, later that night, everyone is asleep and Nell is awoken by the sound of a man chanting and a woman laughing coming through the walls. She asks Theo not to say anything so they won't know that she's in her room. She asks Theo to hold her hand so she doesn't start screaming. The moaning and laughing stops, but only to be replaced by a baby crying. Nell tells Theo she's squeezing her hand too tight and then starts monologuing again about how it's hurting a child and she won't stand for it. Then the chanting starts again, and the baby is still crying, and finally Nell can't take it anymore, and she yells, Stop it! This, of course, wakes up Theo, who turns the light on in the room, and we see that Nell wasn't in bed at all. She's across the room on a chaise lounge next to the wall, and Theo is back in her bed. So who was holding Nell's hand? So good. It's an amazing scene, and it's so incredibly done in the book. It's the one thing that I remember about this book. As soon as you say the title, it's the one scene that I think of. And it's probably the scariest scene I've ever read. It, it's so, so well done. Now, of course, once you know the twist, it's kind of spoiled, mm -hmm. and it, it never really has that same great tension yeah that it did the first time and you realize that you know theo was never holding her hand oh but god that first time it's such a good payoff yeah yeah and it's definitely one of those ones where like when you're showing somebody the movie you're kind of like super stoked for them to experience that part yeah yeah you know that scene's coming mm -hmm. it's gonna be good well, the next day, Nell meets Markway in the parlor, and he tries to convince her there's nothing to fear here. Everything she's experienced has just been noises. Nothing has harmed her, but her mother, <laughs> Nell keeps bringing up her damn mother, and is now worried this might all just be in her head. See, the night her mother died, she pounded on the wall for Nell, but Nell didn't go. So after 11 years of looking after her, she just couldn't do it again. Her back hurt. Her hands hurt. She should have brought her the medicine, just like she had done every other time. But she didn't. And now her mother's dead. So that sounds exactly like the way that Abigail died. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So again, we have this other crazy twist that somehow connects Nell 
to this house. Yeah, yeah. Which I enjoy. I mean, even though we don't get 100% like clarification throughout the movie, I love those little tie-ins. Yeah, it's it's very well done. Well, later that night, the whole group is in the parlor and they've found a book. There's always a book. Well, this particular book is the one that Crane made for Abigail as a legacy for her education and enlightenment. And the dedication is dated about 90 years ago tomorrow. So here we are coming up on an anniversary. And that's never a good thing in a horror movie. No, we should steer away from those. Well, the book is uh, it's a lot of scripture, a lot of honor thy mother and father kind of thing. Well, Nell hates the book and starts yelling at Crane, telling him what an awful man he was. Theo then calls Nell a bore, and Luke wants to turn the pictures into holiday cards. And Theo continues to pick on Nell and teases her about her fake apartment and her little crush on Dr. Markway. Well, Nell tells Theo she's the monster of Hill House and storms out. Yeah, we have some... uh hurt feelings there's some tension there some harsh words were exchanged (laughs) some harsh words yeah people are are just getting their feelings hurt a lot yeah but you can tell that like the house like there's stuff brewing yeah and and what's going on in that house is certainly playing into all this and intensifying everything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well markway makes theo go after her even though they just had this argument And Theo tries to tell Nell that she was just kidding, but Nell isn't having it. Well, Theo tells Nell she's stupid and innocent, and Nell tells Theo she'd rather be stupid and innocent rather than like Theo. Well, Theo wants to know exactly what she meant by that, and Nell tells her she knows damn well what she means. Nature's mistakes, they're called. You, for instance. And Theo whips around on her heels and shoots Nell a go-to-hell look. But before either can say anything else, believe it or not, a taxi pulls up. And, uh-oh, it's Dr. Markway's wife. Did we all forget about that little piece of the doctor's pass? Because I did. <laughs> <laughs> because I knew that there had been more characters in the book. Yeah, yeah. And so I just figured they hadn't gotten there yet. <laughs> but eventually... I clued in and and was kind of like, oh, okay, they're just not going to be in this movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when the taxi went off, I completely forgot that wife shows up again. So I thought this was another character. I thought it is very late in the movie to be introducing (laughs) another character. A lot to do here to catch this person up. (laughs) Well, it turns out Mrs. Markway is there because reporters have gotten word of this little experiment And they've been hounding her at the house. So she wants him to come home because if this gets out in the press, they'll be the laughing stock of their community. Well, Theo tells now she tried to warn her not to get hung up on Markway. And this just, you know, (laughs) pisses Nell off more. Uh, The whole situation has just become very awkward and weird. Well, Mrs. Markway refuses to leave if Dr. Markway is staying, but of course she's a non-believer, so Nell suggests she stay in the nursery. Well, the nursery it is, Miss Markway says, and the doctor better assure her she's going to see a ghost. 
Well, of course, now Nell has a change of heart and implores her not to sleep in the nursery because now she's worried for her safety. But Mrs. Markway isn't hearing it because she didn't believe anything in these ghosts. So she is indeed going to sleep in the nursery, and that's that. But then Dr. Markway tells her she can't sleep in the nursery because he doesn't have the keys for it. <laughs> so think about that. So <laughs> guess you're going to have to sleep in the kitchen. Joke's on you. <laughs> Hope you brought a cut. <laughs> but lo and behold, when they arrive at the second floor, the door to the nursery has suspiciously been opened. Uh-oh. Plot successfully moved forward. Things have gotten pretty sick in here. I hate that I sang that. <laughs> <laughs> it is the spathy ghost time. <laughs> Well, they all check out the nursery together, and according to Mrs. Markway, the only scary thing in here is the interior decorating. Over in the corner, Nell starts to go on about her mother again, and Theo just leads her out of the room. How many times does Nell say my mother in this movie, do you think? <laughs> it has to be at least, like, 15. Somebody needs to, like, uh, make it a drinking game. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean... That do the trick. <laughs> well, next, Nell is off in her monologue world again, talking about how she belongs in Hill House and she doesn't want to leave. Blah blah blah. And Markway comes to tell them he wants everyone to sleep down in the parlor, and he and Luke will take turns watching the upper floor. So later that night, Nell, Theo, and Markway are asleep in the parlor. Remember, Miss Markway is still supposedly sleeping in the nursery. And we see Luke come into the room to fix himself a drink. The door slams, waking everyone, and they begin to hear moaning and wind blowing. Well, the room turns cold and the pounding on the walls starts up again. Well, Markway wants to leave the room because he's worried about his wife, but everyone stops him. The pounding continues and gets louder and louder. And Nell starts screaming, it can't get in, don't let it in. And all of a sudden the pounding stops. And then we get that doorknob turning. Oh, I, I, every time it creeps me out. It's, it's never so not going to be creepy. Yeah. It's yeah. so creepy. Well, Nell thinks someone is there for her as they watch the door start to bend and creak and bow inward. It was the most amazing thing. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't believe it. That effect was phenomenal. It was so good. I loved it. Completely unexpected. Yeah, I think we both, didn't we both kind of look at each other like in shock about how uh, good it was for the, again, for the 60s. Oh, yeah. I was blown away. I, I don't know why it surprised me so much. I just was not expecting because it looked like a door and there's a reason why. So most people knowing anything about special effects would tend to think that this is a special door that they made out of like a latex that would be very malleable it'd be easy to move and bend and you would just paint it to look like a door mm -hmm. well it was in fact made out of laminated wood so this crazy buckling thing that it did this thing what made it look like it was bowing in is simply the result of a strong crew member pushing a piece of timber hard against the back of the door. Oh, wow. I mean, it's really a bowing door. I, I couldn't believe it. I can't either. It looked, yeah, I don't know. It just looked so 
sharp. It just, it, uh, yeah. Yeah, it looked supernatural. It looked like something that shouldn't be able to happen. Like that door should have popped. Ex- yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Nell is convinced that the house is going to continue to look until it finds her. And Luke has finally become a believer and he tells the doc he can have the house for cheap. <laughs> Well, Markway tries to leave again to get to his wife, but Luke stops him again. And Nell thinks she's the key to making everything stop if she just give herself to the house. So she runs out of the room, I, I guess through another door? I don't know. I mean, it was just so weird they're guarding this door and she just runs out another one. It's like, well, whatever's trying to get in. Couldn't it go around? It just seems like y'all are wide open here. <laughs> Well, she makes her way through the house and she is hearing the house falling apart around her. She, like walls are coming down. There's crashing and you're hearing glass breaking. And it's just, it, it sounds like total destruction, but we don't see any damage. So, I mean, you really start to think, is this really happening mm-hmm. or is this it all in her mind? Was she the one who was causing that door to happen because of this possible telekinesis? We know that she's caused these rocks to fall on her house for three days when she was 10. So, you know, how much of this is Hill House and how much of it is Nell? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Nell makes her way to the nursery and sees that the door is open. She runs in to try and save Miss Markway, but when she gets there, Miss Markway is gone. The others show up and the doctor says, we'll tear this place apart looking for her. It's like, you didn't seem very concerned about her at breakfast the other morning, batting your eyelashes at Miss Nellie Nell. <laughs> Listen up, sir. We don't appreciate this. And now you're going to tear the place up looking for your wife. Mm-hmm. Mm, we see you. Player. We judge you. <laughs> well, Nell, in another internal monologue, believes she's falling apart mentally Uh, and she goes to the garden room and tells the statue of Hugh Crane that they've killed Miss Markway. You and I, we've killed her. I mean, she's jumping to a lot of conclusions here. The lady was just missing. Maybe she was in the toilet. You don't know. Maybe she just had to powder her nose. (laughs) And now you just said, we killed her. She did. (laughs) Long live me. Markway is mine. Your wife's dead. Job's done. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just going to talk to this statue for just a minute. I'll be right there. I fed her to the house. Sorry. Don't pet the statue, dog. (laughs) Uh, Well, and then she starts to dance with Crane again. Of course, invisibly, he's not there. It's just her waltzing around. Mm -hmm. Which seems like the appropriate time to be doing this. I mean, you know. It's always time to dance. Did you watch Footloose? <laughs> well, next, Nell can hear the others. I just, I, I had a vision of us trying to do the uh, the Footloose dance. How was that? It was great. <laughs> it seems as if it would be unsuccessful. <laughs> we would get tired very quickly. I am just thinking about it. <laughs> You would already just getting to the barn. You would be like, it is hot. Yeah. And it smells like horseshit. I would be mad that we had to even go there to do it. 
why did we even agree to do the footloose dance? I don't. In here of all places. <laughs> why couldn't we at least do it where there's AC and like pillows on the ground? <laughs> I don't know. All this seems ill-planned. My introverted self's going to call you about an hour before and say, you know, actually, I can't. <laughs> I have so much homework. So, sorry. Well, next, Nell can hear the others calling for her, so she leaves the garden room and makes her way to the library. The smell is gone, and she's able to go inside. She believes she's broken the spell of Hill House, and now she's truly home. No more stone lions on the mantle for her. She starts to climb the stairs, yes, those old rickety ones that Luke almost died on, and halfway up, they start to shake. But soon they stop, and she continues on. But before she gets there, Dr. Markway is calling to her and telling her to come down. But she refuses and continues to the top. Well, Markway wants to go up after her, but Luke and Theo tell him that there's no way it'll hold the weight of both of them. Regardless, they both continue climbing, and the stairs keep shaking. Well, Markway keeps telling Nell to stay still, stay still, stop moving, just stay still. But she's already at the top, and she's just standing there. But he keeps yelling. It's like, bitch, she's not moving. You're the one going up the stairs. I'm like, who are you yelling at? He's just, like, nervous. <laughs> so he's, like, yelling at everybody else but himself. <laughs> Don't touch the stairs. Don't. <laughs> Get your hands up. I don't need your help. I told you earlier. Don't. Mm-mm. Nope. I got it. Stop. Nell. Stay still. I swear to God, Nell. Stop it. All right. <laughs> he just really hates heights. He was nervous the whole time. He's trying to look cool in front of his friends. It's not scary, but she won't stop moving. You didn't say she'd be moving. <laughs> When we rehearsed this earlier, it was still, you didn't tell me you're going to throw this in. I was caught off guard and that scream was not me. It was her. Plus, I'm not wearing the right shoes. (laughs) These are not stair climbing shoes. Everyone knows that. These shoes are not meant for the shakes. And what y'all are doing? I mean, these are escalator at best. And Nell starts chiming in. She's like, he's right. He's right. Mm-mm, I would not wear those on the stairs. I did it barefoot, so I'm fine. I'm just, he's been yelling at me, but I'm just standing here. I made it. It really wasn't me the fine. whole time. I swear to God. <laughs> well, Markway makes it to the top, and as he reaches out for her, she kind of like recoils back. And, like, covers her hand over her mouth. Like, oh, no. Oh, look. Look what I'm going to do. Oh, no. I'm going to do it. Oh, oh. Are you going to stop me? It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. A little bizarre. Oh, Margoy, he pulls her back in. She's just fine. But before they head down, Nell looks up. And sees Miss Markway all disheveled, like she opens up like this trap door thing in the ceiling. And of course, Nell screams and faints. But then Miss Markway just shuts the door and leaves. Yeah, it was a very weird game of peekaboo. I didn't understand why this needed to happen. I I didn't either. I was like, are you, are you being held captive in there? (laughs) Are you, what? 
Are you hiding? Are you trying to scare her? Well, next we're up in Nell's room and Dr. Markway is explaining to Nell why he's finally sending her away. But Nell doesn't want to leave and she just keeps begging to stay. She just keeps saying, I'm the one Hill House wants. I'm the one who should be here, not Mrs. Markway. Well, they get Nell in the car, which Nell insists on driving because it's half her car and she means to take it. But before she pulls away... She has her goodbye with Theo, who tells her to have the happiest life. But Nell just keeps complaining that Miss Markway has her place and it isn't fair. Then Luke, who's supposed to be escorting her home, tells her to hang on a second and he runs back to Markway to get the keys to the gate. Well, Nell sees her chance and takes off in the car. It's half hers and she means to drive it, so (laughs) you just let her take it. Well, as she's driving away, she feels something else take control of the car. And, of course, the brakes go out. Well, Nell takes it as a sign that the house does indeed want her to stay. And she resigns her fate. She closes her eyes and lets the car crash. But just before it does, she sees Miss Markway run behind the tree and... Nell crashes right into it, and it's the same tree where the horses crashed and killed Mrs. Crane number one. So Nell is dead, and Hill House has brought her home. Claimed another one. Well, Miss Markway comes out from behind the tree and explains how she didn't mean for any of this to happen. She had just gotten up in the middle of the night and went to go find Dr. Markway, but got lost and ended up in the attic. She was only looking for a way out when she discovered the trap door and scared Nell on the stairs. Dr. Markway tells her she almost scared Nell to death, and Theo said she did scare her to death, thinking it was the sight of Miss Markway that made her lose control of the car. But Luke saw the whole thing and said it wasn't Miss Markway's fault. Nell was aiming for the tree the whole time. Dr. Markway is convinced there was something in the car with her, Her sick mind couldn't fight against it. But Theo thinks Nell is exactly where she wants to be. We pan over to a final shot of Hill House as we hear Nell in a voiceover tell us that Hill House has stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more. Within, walls continue upright, bricks meet, floors are firm, and doors are sensibly shut. Silence lies steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and we who walk here walk alone. Very nice. It was so well done. Yeah, I was really impressed with it. I I mean, it was just, it was fun. It was suspenseful. It had, you know, really good kind of, you know, that body clenching, just, ooh, what's going to happen kind of thing. And, you know, so... I mean, I understand some of those older reviews that said how audiences were quote-unquote bored. I get if you go into this thinking it's going to be some big scream fest, you would be misled. Mm -hmm. Uh, You really have to understand that this is suspense horror, and it's, it's more about the unseen here. Uh, And it's, it's really, really effective in this film. Yeah, and I think what I enjoyed about it too is This is a title I've heard of before, and obviously I know the origins coming from the book and, uh, you know, seen the Netflix series and read the book and so on and so forth. But 
you I just have never heard from anybody like they do or don't like the haunting. Like it's just never come up on anybody that I know personally, like their list of like faves or non-faves or like it for this reason. So it's like generally one that I know has a decent rating and like it was a thing, but I just never hear much about. So it was fun getting to like experience without like a whole lot of uh, opinions weighing in on it, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it it doesn't come up on a lot of lists. I think it gets overlooked a lot. And I, I think that's a shame. This it, it's a really really well done movie and it's it's very effective and I certainly had a enjoyable time watching it. I, I was entertained. It it would be one that I would enjoy watching again. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's what you've got to do with this movie is go in and uh I think especially watching it now, a lot of people know it's coming from The Haunting of Hill House and maybe more people today have seen the Netflix series and haven't seen this yet and are going into it with the high hopes of of the kind of uh, fear factor that The Haunting of Hill House had. And I think you've got to go into this knowing that it's, it's more on the more whimsical side of things and more, uh, like you said, in the realm of like questioning is this paranormal or not and going in there with that and going in there kind of knowing it's going to be more fun than anything else I think it makes it just a really good enjoyable experience well of course we got some prompts we got to get to and I'm interested to hear what you came up with so what do you have for your popcorn spiller so for me I think it uh easily was that that hand holding scene it was just so good uh, it it is it's it's always amazing and i thought about putting that one as well but you know it it's so unfortunate that so much of what makes that scene great is taken away once you know the twist of it yeah yeah uh so for my popcorn spiller the the scene that really got to me that kind of had me going oh no uh was when they're all down in the parlor and that door, that doorknob starts turning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's always a big one for me. It's just, it's such a good, effective way of building that suspense, mm-hmm. that slow, you know, knob turn. And it just makes you, you know, cringe going, what is it? What is it? What's going to be there when yeah. that door opens? And the more they draw that out, the more it just builds. So super effective and very well done. Yeah, I, I think the whole doorknob turning thing is such an easy tactic that we can all easily get on board with and talk and know how creepy that is to not know what's on the other side of that door. Yeah, man, it's always about the unknown, especially for me. That's that's really what's going to heighten the fear factor for me. Mm-hmm. So who ended up being your scene stealer for this movie? Hands down, 100% Miss Dudley. <laughs> Miss Dudley. Oh, Miss Dudley. Why does that not surprise me? Every single time. We don't see her that often, but every scene she's in, she steals it. Every single one. It's just phenomenal. She's amazing. What about you? Well, mine just kind of inevitably was always Nell, just because we're kind of always lounging with her inside her own head. So for me, it was always... I mean, when there was like other people in the room, I I would notice them, but to me, it was just always coming back to her just because I was always interested to see either how she was going to react to what was going on because she was so kind of 
always on the edge. You didn't always know, was she going to react okay? Or was she going to like have an emotional reaction of some sorts or talk about her mom, but only for a split second. Like you just never knew how Nell was going to handle things from one moment to another. Right, right. So I was just always engaged by her character. Like, even though, like, she did spend 97% of the movie having internal thoughts. <laughs> In her own head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just still uh, thought that it was it was compelling enough that I enjoyed following Nell as a character. Yeah. And, of course, if you go by what the screenwriter Gidding says... It's quite possible that all of this was in Nell's head and this all took place and she's locked in a hospital somewhere. I I could totally get down with that. You know, they did an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where she wakes up to find that she is in a mental institution and this whole idea of her being a slayer uh, is just this uh, delusion that she has. And they keep trying to bring her out of it and bring her into quote unquote reality. And so it's the whole episode is about her deciding what is what is real and what is mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting. Yeah, that's such an obscure fear of mine of, of not being believed or being believed that I'm of sound mind. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like I just have this fear that if I'm going to say something people aren't going to believe me. I don't know why. It's not because, I mean, I don't feel like I walk around spewing a lot of like wild thoughts or anything. Right. But I think, yeah, when, when people like talk about that or when I'm reading books a lot, I read a lot of like psychological thrillers and horrors and I do enjoy that trope of having um, a a character that you can't trust. But it's so weird because when I think about it for myself, it's so stressful. Like if I was trying to convince somebody that like, I, I'm okay, but they're not believing me. I just immediately want to shut down and like freak out because it just makes me so uncomfy. <laughs> well, luckily, thus far, I have yet to question your sanity. Well, thank you very much. Things could change. Yeah. You don't know what my gorgasm is yet. So that could definitely <laughs> change the vibes in here. Who knows? Well, now I'm worried. You shouldn't be because it's uh, the door. I loved the door. Oh. I mean, what else could you pick? Nothing. It was amazing. Yeah, it was so good. I know we both kind of like had the dilemma of you don't get a lot of that uh, bloody gore action in this movie, but I think it definitely applies to that amazing effect we get to see there for uh, that moment. And it is a genuinely like spooky moment uh, in that whole scene. That whole scene is chaotic and it's, it's just so good. So yeah, that's definitely my my gorgasm it was chef's kiss it was so unexpected i just didn't you don't hear about that scene no you don't you just you don't hear anything about this movie yeah and i feel like more people you know it's weird that more people it's especially that scene you know at least for like cool horror special effects (laughs) list top (laughs) 10 100 got it exactly you nailed it Mm -hmm. i'm gonna write it people will read it i know it just based off of that all right then i gotta ask what your memorable mortality was oh a thousand percent wife number two not even an important in character <laughs> at all 
But wife number two and her dramatic fall down the stairs sold it for me. I mean, it, it was spectacular. We did not have a lot of deaths to choose from. No. Uh, I actually went with the wife that was killed by the horses that hated the house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought that was a pretty harsh reaction to someone's design aesthetic. Oh, 100%. It seemed pretty, uh, I don't know, maybe sleep on it. (laughs) You know, give it a week. You know, a lot of companies do like a 90-day money-back guarantee. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe think about that. And paint can be changed. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. But wife number two... Nothing is scarier than opening doors. <laughs> well, that's when the wind does it. That's mm-hmm. that's the thing. Mm-hmm. That, that pesky, drafty house. <laughs> it's all those uneven doorways. So that leaves us with the final question of, should this one go in the vault or be left behind in this weird-ass dead zone? <laughs> vault for sure. Yeah, I, I have to agree. This one was, uh, like I said, so surprising for me. I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did. I didn't have any expectations going into it. I Like we have mentioned a lot, there's not a lot of uh, talk about this movie on lists, so I just didn't have any expectations going into it, but I totally enjoyed it. And it's, it's only made me even more excited to see uh, next week's remake. Well, according to critics, you shouldn't be excited. <laughs> I know, which makes me even more excited. Oh, you better believe i'm excited Mm -hmm. early 2000s cgi come the fuck on it's gonna be terrible it's gonna be great well that's gonna do it for us episode 16 is in the can in the can thank you so much for joining us if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the dead zone drive-in on your favorite listening platform And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone drive-in sticker for free. That's no money's honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665. Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Next, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link to our socials and our Facebook group. Lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching The Haunting, of course, but this time we'll be traveling to 1999, so head down to the show notes for a link to check out that trailer. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob, for giving us a toe when the Winnebago broke down. Man, I'm telling you, it is getting weird around here. I don't want to be stuck outside too much. No, no, no. I very much appreciated their very quick service. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please... Buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. Which gets as close to a fuck you, Luke, from Eleanor. Fuck you, Luke? Did I say? <laughs> fuck you, Luke. Luke. Fuck you, Luke. I am your father. <laughs> fuck your sister, too. <laughs> 
Both of y'all can take a flying leap. <laughs> right into the rebellion. Stop it. I can't do it. Bye. Just top it off, I'm gonna take your hand too. Gone. Cry about it, you big baby. <laughs> Don't do those. <laughs> you can't do those. It's my lightsaber. I know. It's too much. <sighs> And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.